Walt will have his revenge. Yeah. Basically, uh, on Hollywood. This is a good opportunity to talk about, like, Mickey. There is an, a really good description of Mickey in uh, the Disney fetish in the fourth mm. chapter of uh, the conceptual, uh, sorry, the conceptual homunculus, um, you know, uh, which he talks about, obviously, like, mainly as a psychoanalytic thing, but he also uh, gives a little bit of background. Uh, he writes, uh, the term homunculus is its origins in medieval alchemy, but as a concept, it can be traced to antiquity. Paracelsus used the term to describe an alchemically created artificial man. When this man, grown in a test tube, develops into an adult, he has the capacity to reach either positive or negative extremes. He can be either a giant or a pygmy, a great or monstrous man. The homunculus is also the most basic unit of man in preformationist thought which suppose that the sperm cell itself contains a tiny man, who in turn contains a tinier man, and so on into an infinity of smallness. Uh, Raelian stuff? Anyway, this infinity that is structurally expressed in the homunculus is the expanse of the primordial abyss, the state of pre-subjectivity in which a child exists with the archaic mother. So again, there's a lot of psychoanalytic stuff in this, but you'll like there's a, a general like idea that I think comes through and is, is interesting. The production of the homunculus was considered significant as it was done without the female organs and represented an object of purely masculine nature. This distillation of masculinity seems to reaffirm a culturally constructed male centrality. The homunculus of Paracelsus is therefore a distillation of the male gaze, an absolute and pure object that satisfies a male egoic idealization. The Jewish golem is another apparition of the homunculoid form, though instead of being formed from a yeah. single sperm cell, it is birthed by virgin soil. Like the homunculus described in Goethe's Faust, the golem is a servant of to man's will. Both involve a simultaneous servitude to masculine designs and result in death and destruction. This duality of function is key to the homunculus's status as a fetish object in service of the gaze. Within the present discussion, the homunculus is used to describe the prototypic cartoon body constructed to suit her aggressive, pre-gendered gaze. It is the locus of the cartoon form, the cartoon essence that Scott McCloud describes as an empty shell that we inhabit which enables us to travel in another realm. The cartoon body is fundamentally a caricature, a simplification and exaggeration of human facets. Too much awareness of the messenger obscures the message. Thus, the cartoon image must be refined to more basic emotional characteristics, which are perhaps better described as caricaturistics. Freud references the homunculus as a representative of the ego. It is an abstraction of the physical perception of the body and self. Mickey Mouse is an archetypal example of an empty and exaggerated semblance of an ego without the subject attached. It is an amputation of an ego as mask, deprived of soul with small black eyes. It gives a solid, unemotive facade, a pure ego. As stated in the previous chapter, this pure ego can reference both the ideal ego and the ego ideal. The ideal ego represents an image of unity of self that the subject struggles with. This is the image the subject is confronted with in misrecognizing the image of its body in the mirror, a significant psychical event that occurs in Lacan's mirror stage. Uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. The mirror stage represents a phase of psychical development in which a child achieves an image of the self that constitutes the ego. This ego is dependent on the look of the other, the eyes of whom act as a mirror. The look of the other has a capacity to consolidate the subject's fragmented sense of self. When the subject gazes at an object, they find the object already gazes back at them. This look from the object occupies the same purpose as the other, whose look aids the subject egoic consolidation. I'm sorry if you like you know Lacan, because this is like the most 
you know, basic Lacanian concept. But anyway, so um, the, <laughs> no, it's okay. the homunculus is absolute and idealized image functions as a kind of fetish, providing the ability to cover up lack with the most simple and vacuous of forms, caricatured to appeal uh, to the appeal of a mass audience as an ideal of both image and solidity. The purpose of the fetish is to allow its user to cover up the threat of castration and the reality of the castrated mother, see Freud, 1927, by providing a fantasy that is genital free. Disney provides a fetishized safe house from sexual difference, one which protects the viewer from anxiety. Thus, the homunculus is seen to occupy a fetishistic role. You know, yeah, so it goes on, like, in that vein. But the basic idea of, like, a the Mickey Mouse is, like, a soulless body to be, like, inhabited in order to, like, travel into another world, I find oh to be, God. like, interesting. Um, this is so scary. I just yeah. started Googling homunculus and like, looking <laughs> at pictures. It, you're right. Like it, what the fuck? Who thought of this? This is like terrifying. It's like a little, it's like a goblin man. It's like a little goblin man who's like sensory parts of their body are like wildly, almost cartoonishly exaggerated. Yeah. Like their hands, their lips and their tongue and like their eyes are like cartoonishly large like they look kind of like goofy or something yeah it's uh and then the, the hands look exactly like mickey mouse like the big <laughs> no, hands. yeah it's true like they all have oh like God. a big white yeah this is also an interesting part uh, uh harrington right uh the fetish is a means of denying sexual difference the difference between mother and father is the phallus that which gives both the male and female subject power or lack of in the eyes of eternal authority again like psychoanalytic doctrine but it is a material element that consecrates the perverse disavowal yet is also a memorial to castration a token of protection and triumph over the father the fetishist displaces this maternal phallus onto another part of the body or an object it is thus a referent totem of the pre-edible mother the primordial archaic mother it is a totem that carries reference to the abyss of the primordial child slash other relation the domain of jouissance yet simultaneously protects against it Jouissance is like, you know, when you exceed the pleasure principle, when you get like so much pleasure that it's like too much. Uh, the uh -huh. process of fetishism is one of displacement, not of replacement. It is the fetish that the fetishist desires, not a substitute for the mother, but rather an object of distraction. Uh, so, you know, it's a disavowal of the father. It's abolished from the symbolic, blah, blah, blah. But the symbolic father has the function of removing the child from the possibility of incestuous union with the mother. His role is thus protective as he prevents the child from falling into psychosis. The death is objectivity that is implicit in the fusion with the archaic mother. The archaic mother is threatening. She is the mother of the primordial abyss, the mother that absorbs the child. She is chaos, you know, uh, if you will. <laughs> the mother that absorbs the child instead of say a fusion that is, which is essentially subjective obliteration and marks the fall into psychosis. So again, you can see like what I mean, like very heavy when like dense with the like psychoanalytic doctrine and like, you know, the road and the, like some of the like kind of like what, like. Everyone wants to like, you know, the Oedipal complex thing uh, that even Henry Murray yeah. was criticizing. But you like, I think that like in light of his background, you kind of can see like how some of this like, I mean, when you're dealing with this sort of fixation with childhood, like yeah. and it actually is like self almost self-consciously present. It's weird because like in Freud, like what makes these things opaque in a way is that they you know we're not supposed to have like an awareness of them and that like it actually brings them to relief because they're like all unconscious but i feel like in disney's case they kind of are betrayed by like the obsession with childhood itself and like his like the sort of uh focus of the whole disney enterprise on that domain 
that like some of the stuff becomes more applicable or like it seems to ring a bit truer than it might in like other you know in the broad context where like everything boils yeah. down to this like you know conflict um, yeah when you're dealing with somebody who's like diving into kind of like the world of like childhood imagination yeah. like almost exclusively and marketing themselves in that and seem to be yeah have that be a running theme in every single cartoon that you make yeah it definitely it's more than just subconscious i think at that i think the fact that he because he endured such extreme abuse growing up coupled with the uncertainty over his parentage pushed it more to the consciousness than perhaps the average person and yeah. like led to uh extremities you know led to a more extreme manifestation because also i mean it's kind of a meme that people used to say about it was a joke people used to make about like the old disney movies that like bambi's like fucked up like ever like how often have you heard somebody say like oh as a kid and i watched bambi and like i cried when bambi's mother got shot mm-hmm. right yeah and like dumbo like gets like orphaned basically like dumbo gets like taken away from his parents right Mm -hmm. and he's like trying to find them that's a very common thing and so it's like there was always an acknowledgement that there was like some i guess you could say like challenging content there and there's always like a central like kind of childhood trauma that kind of needs to be overcome like a child hero's journey yeah a hero's journey for little kids it's emotionally manipulative that's what kind of grosses me out at Disney movies a lot of the time. I mean, in that, like I was saying, I think before we started recording, I was talking about the nifty 90s, which, uh, you know, I did mention, but uh, at this point I didn't make, which is that, you know, it's kind of this, uh, you know, nostalgic sort of uh, retcon of the sort of 90s middle class into being sort of more in the mold of the, you know, emergent middle class after World War II, where they have like a bunch of leisure time and they're spending it mostly on like media consumption. So you have mm-hmm. like Mickey as like a 1980s bachelor who's like wooing Minnie Mouse. Sorry, 1890s to be clear. Oh, sorry. Did I say 1980s? Yeah. I'm always doing he's that. I have, I have like this calculator <laughs> or something. But anyway, uh, sorry, 1890s. Uh, yeah, he's like an 1890s bachelor and he's wooing Mickey Mouse who has like a huge ass, as I said, like, you know, to go with like <laughs> Is Mickey's. that part of it? Yeah, it's like really yeah. part of it. Exa- I, don't know. I mean, exaggerating parts of the anatomy and like a the, like way like there's something of. like you know uh, Harrington does say that he has like a weird anality like in his fixation, but like I feel like yeah, that's there. Yeah. But anyway, so in that they Mickey takes Minnie to like a vaudeville show, which is like you know kind of like meta theatrical or meta cinematic in some way, where like you know they're watching a film, which is sort of like stills, and the story mm-hmm. is actually about like a. Uh, absentee father it's called like father dear father like and there's even a song it's like come home father you know and he's like drunk at the bar and like he you know won't come home and like the daughter is like weeping over like how making our their family destitute it's interesting because it's like in a way it sort of does parallel what's like objected or sort of cast out from this nostalgic memory of the 19th century or the the gay 90s which we've talked about at length is like a time Mm -hmm. of great like immiseration and uh you know poverty and instability and like the you know the subjugation yeah. of 
uh, people by, you know, mo- the mass of people by, like, you know, the wealthy few, you know, and in fact, where, like, the sort of laissez-faire ideals of the middle class in some ways were systematically crushed and blah, blah, blah. But anyway, yeah. so... I mean, his father watching- is definitely, uh, I think, an example of that kind of, like, middle-class mentality who, like, yeah. is constantly flighting between, like, different businesses and, like, now I'm going to be a part owner of a jelly factory. Like, you know, and, like, I'm a farmer, but then he fails, like, yeah. and he just gets, like, took all the time and then he res- takes all his resentment out on his children yeah basically well of course in the nifty 90s there's well you know there but it's interesting because the movie kind of does have some of the stuff that mickey and minnie watch and minnie watching this is just like sobbing and minnie's like oh oh gosh minnie you know it's just it's just a movie don't don't be so you know don't be so upset but it's kind of you know i felt like it was a little bit of gaslighting in our faces you know like they're like (laughs) saying like oh yeah we know how to like push your buttons how to make you uh-huh. like weep over this bullshit you know oh yeah yeah, yeah. and then it's interesting because they actually have like kind of a uh like patty whacker type like bit come out like you know an old vaudevillian thing where people are just smashing each other with canes and like telling really shitty jokes like why the chicken cross the road and it's like kind of the two sides of disney like this sort of cruel violent like cartoon yeah. world where nothing has any consequences and like the emotional manipulation but well, I, I, yeah, I think we mentioned it uh, before we started recording, but it, like a light bulb went off uh, when we were kind of talking about, <laughs> yeah, like these little cartoons and how kind of like you really could look at all of Disney stuff, even going back to like the 30s and 40s is like on the Elsa Gate spectrum, <laughs> basically. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, Elsa Gate is obviously like bootlegged and not done by Disney, but it's using these same avatars and mm-hmm. these same people. And it's also has a kind of like there's a dark undercurrent of menace in like Elsa Gate. It's more pronounced in like YouTube kids Elsa Gate videos. But I feel like not saying they're they're consciously inspired, but it's weird to see how much similarity there is to especially like the early like impish mickey mouse you know yeah and i mean that that is like a really long-standing tradition of comedy the mickey mouse stuff really just takes it to a new extreme in entering like it's this sort of virtual fantasy domain there's definitely innovative things about it but also like mickey is for one he's like a minstrel figure first of all like they're you know all these sort of like cartoon comic characters are heavily influenced by minstrelsy and also there's an influence of even older comic traditions of like slapstick and like commedia dell'arte like mickey is like a harlequin who of course yeah himself mm. is like <laughs> the ans- the descendant of a devil figure uh actually yeah. but speaking of bambi did i ever talk about an sj how like the disney how like the uh, original ending of bambi because the original bambi is like you know re- has a really like interesting like religious element to it like there's a weird like religious passage that this is a good example i've actually never seen bambi i've never seen bambi actually you've never seen bambi well not um the disney movie but bambi the story oh the original story yeah bambi a life in the woods like the 1923 book which is an austrian coming of age novel (laughs) yeah there's they kind of changed it but i mean it's not like fully relevant to disney except that disney removed it but i remember there's a part where like bambi like realizes that there is like one more powerful than like the hunter like who you know like or something like that uh yeah he loves those german fairy tales doesn't he I guess so, yeah. He certainly loves uh, Germanic fairy tales, yeah. And weird shit, sorcery, magic, blah, blah, blah.
For access to the full-length episode, subscribe to the Hour of Frequency at patreon.com slash subliminal jihad.